Hey there, listener. If you like what you hear on World Changing Women, you should join us at the Conscious Company Leaders Forum, where we bring together tons of stories like this live, in person, outside of Santa Cruz, California at 1440 Multiversity. Go to ConsciousCompanyLeadersForum.com for more information. I'm Megan French Dunbar, co-founder and CEO of Conscious Company Media, and welcome to World Changing Women. Each week, we interview some of the most badass female founders in the world to get their insights on how they've built game-changing companies that actually have a positive impact on the world. Our hope here is to inspire and help people of all backgrounds who feel like starting a business or chasing their dream is out of their reach to reconsider. We'll hear the good, the bad, and sometimes even the ugly of what it takes to start and build something incredible. And we hope that every episode will leave you inspired, hopeful, and with practical tips that will help you along your journey. Welcome to World Changing Women. So I put this uh, motorcycle battery under the milk crate and strapped the prototype machine on with a bungee cord and established a Twitter handle and basically said, hey, I'm a new street cart in town and uh, here's the flavor of the day and here's where I'm going to be. Come and get it before I sell out or before the cops find me. With literally a high-tech ice cream machine that she invented herself mounted to a souped-up radio flyer wagon, Robin Sue Fisher took to the streets of San Francisco to pass out samples of her ice cream. Since those humble beginnings, she's opened eight Smitten ice cream shops throughout California. Smitten makes ice cream differently. Every flavor is churned to order. That means starting from scratch with natural ingredients. And then comes the patented Burr machine, which Robin actually invented, which uses liquid nitrogen to freeze every custom creamy scoop in about 90 seconds. Robin's mission is to spread joy. And this is done by more than just delicious ice cream. It's actually done through a set of core company values and by putting her people first. Stay tuned to hear how Robin made new discoveries and pushed past failures to give old-fashioned ice cream a major makeover. So you have one of my favorite origin stories of any company I've ever heard of, which includes you toiling away in your basement for two years. Um, but let's start from the very beginning. How did even the idea for Smitten Ice Cream come about? Ah, okay. Well, when I was three, <laughs> literally though, when I was three, my mom used to tell me I had two tummies and one was solely reserved for ice cream. So that's something that stayed with me forever and ever. Um, but I think it really um, sort of came to a head when I was going back to business school and um, had promised myself going in that I would come out loving my job. And I'd been a management consultant for about five years at that point and had learned a lot, but still dreaded every day going into an office building and hated templates and PowerPoint presentations. And so really um, saw this as a welcomed pause to find the right fit for me. And in going to business school, my assumption was that the perfect job would walk along and I'd be like, oh, that's it. And going to my second year, that just hadn't happened. And most opportunities that came along seemed um, kind of like a straitjacket. And so I started realizing that maybe that meant I needed to take an alternate route and sort of dove into entrepreneurship classes as a way of creating my own path. 
and naturally landed on ice cream as a way of exploring entrepreneurship because uh, what's a more fun way than learning through a product that I love? And had always sort of dreamed up wild ice cream ideas um, as a consultant who uh, treated myself to ice cream on many late nights. And so um, pulled a team together uh, actually across Stanford uh, campus, not just the business school. I had a engineering student in my group um, because I, I'm a huge like tinker and love making things and so I was really interested in D school at Stanford, which is a product design sort of magnet, um, product designers magnet uh, opportunities just kind of blossom out of there. And so um, I uh, wanted to uh, learn from someone who was in that program. And um, so welcomed her to my startup idea on ice cream and um, dove in. And one of the things that I realized sort of sadly as this person who has this idealistic vision of ice cream is that um, even though it's supposed to be a category that's all about love and joy and innocence, it's really freaking tainted. And um, and quite frankly, really ripe for disruption. And um, so I uh, sort of try, started disassembling the category and looking at the root causes and um, a lot of the root causes and the fact that it's very industrialized and um, sort of a centralized manufacturing philosophy focused on grocery and shelf life. And so um, I sort of had this far-fetched idea that, you know, similar to how coffee evolved from Folgers and Maxwell House to, you know, your half-calf extra hot soy latte um, that you wouldn't have it any other way. what if that same evolution could happen for ice cream? And what if instead of having this industrialized um, giant 10,000 gallon batch focused on 18 month shelf life full of chemicals and preservatives and stabilizers, what if you could have um, a way of transforming this category into a fresh product? And so that's what I went after. And um, part of that was um, building a completely different infrastructure. So decentralized instead of centralized um, and small batch, actually like nano batch, not even micro batch instead of um, sort of the giant um, 2,000, 10,000 gallon batch approach and just uh, kind of tried to start over and build it back up. Mm-hmm. So that's, that is how it all sort of began as a, inkling of an idea and when was this that was in 2006 so 2006 you've got this idea and you come out of business school how do you actually take that idea and start taking it into action so I graduated from Stanford GSB in 2007 and um uh I I guess I'd had a, a bunch of support from classmates and professors and uh, a lot of fear from my family um, who are uh, much more risk averse than I am Um, and uh, just gave myself uh, sort of the freedom to dive in. I think as a woman where this is important is that I realized that this was a time in my life where I had no one depending on me and I could live on rice and beans for months if I needed to and this was my time to... um, to learn and try and fail if I needed to fail. And um, and I just promised myself that I would 
fail miserably and quickly instead of sort of half-assing it and always wondering what if. So um, I spent the next, um, what ended up being two years, not in my basement, but in the basement of a retired aerospace engineer who had a (laughs) workshop there um, in his basement, prototyping and trying to figure out how to, similar to making a latte at Starbucks or Blue Bottle or Sight Glass or wherever your favorite coffee place is, um, if you could make uh, an ice cream in about the same amount of time from scratch to order. Um, and that was actually the uh, the sort of target threshold that I set was I timed a bunch of people at Starbucks and, and saw that the usual throughput or sort of the threshold throughput was around three minutes where someone started getting antsy. And so I set that as a as a threshold for what became smitten was if I could make someone's ice cream in under three minutes. Um, and, uh, yeah. And, and you mean literally make, the I ice mean, literally. Cream. So from liquid, so literally into our, now, now what we call our burn machine. It's a, a liquid base that, um, transforms from liquid to solid in under three minutes, about 90 seconds for a small. So I spent two years in this basement workshop with a retired aerospace engineer prototyping and failing a lot um and finally um in a really cool breakthrough moment um where we almost gave up but uh I can dive into that that breakthrough moment if you want Megan's nodding so um we he was an aerospace engineer so we looked at like how do how do planes keep the ice off their windshields and we looked at how do snow plows um scrape ice from the ground and we tried literally modeling all those things up and testing it with how we were freezing ice cream, which was with liquid nitrogen, which was negative 321 degrees. And while all those things work at zero or maybe negative 20, they do not work at negative 321. And so we were literally like about to give up and he was um, sort of looking at me and spinning a screw on the table, sort of filling with a screw. And we're looking at the downward spiral of the screw and... um, realizing that there's this uh, sort of downward helix. And so he took a clothes hanger, um, literally a clothes hanger, wrapped it around one arm like a downward spiral and plunked it down and took another clothes hanger, wrapped it around his arm in a downward spiral and plunked it down and then started turning them both together at these two kind of screw-shaped downward spirals, which are helices. Um, And we realized that when you put these two next to each other and, and if you could make them with utmost precision, you actually had this interaction that scraped every surface of itself and pushed um, down. And when we what we learned about making ice cream at a super low temperature is that um, everything wants to stick together and cluster, which really hurts the texture of the product. And so if you could scrape every surface at, at the same time and not let anything stick, then you had magic. And so what he modeled up with these two clothes hangers appeared to be solving the problem. And so we started, um, we started welding that up and, and developing basically our entire machine around what became one of our first patents at Smitten. So, um, that was kind of literally after about 18 months of failing. Um, and so, uh, after about two years, we had this prototype, which I had spent my life savings on the engineer, myself, our chef, and our part-time CFO were all working for equity, so no one was getting paid. Um, and I spent my life savings on just the engineering, like stainless steel parts and motors of this machine. And now it was 2009. And if anyone recalls 2009, 
it was the most like awful year to consider even starting a company, let alone in food when all the restaurants were closing because not enough people were going out. So um, it was like raising money was like not even on the table. Um, And so um, I kind of got super silly and creative and um, and went to Walmart uh, thinking that I had a budget of, you know, three hundred (laughs) dollars and uh, got a radio flyer wagon with off road wheels and uh, a milk crate at um, a craft store. And um, I'd been doing some consulting work on the side for a design firm and asked um, the person at their design shop if I could borrow an old motorcycle battery that had been accumulating a lot of dust in their shop. And they said, sure. So I took this motorcycle battery and rewired it and configured it to power our prototype Burr machine, which was built to plug into a wall. Um, and I, my plan did not entail being inside a building, so I needed a different way to power it. So I put this uh, motorcycle battery under the milk crate and strapped the prototype machine on with a bungee cord and established a Twitter handle and basically said, hey, I'm a new street card in town um, and uh, here's the flavor of the day and here's where I'm going to be. Come and get it before I sell out or before the cops find me. And uh, that was how I first started selling ice cream on the streets and alleys and parks of San Francisco. And um, and within a couple of weeks, it was just game changing. So I just I just want to recap this. So you graduate with your MBA from Stanford. You've decided you want to go into ice cream. You decide in order to do so, in order to, for it to be in its purest form, you have to reinvent an ice cream machine that will freeze it in a matter of seconds to make your ice cream on the spot. You spend 18 months in someone's basement trying to create said machine. You succeed. You spend all of your money doing so. And with the last remaining money in your wallet, you pull together a radio flyer wagon with a motorcycle battery to go sell ice cream on the streets. <laughs> yeah, that pretty much sums okay, it up. Okay, cool. Yeah. Um, I'm so I'm so curious about, like, at that moment, what were your friends and family saying to you? At the moment before I sold ice cream on the street or after? Both. Okay, I think before... Huh, before, like, right before, I, I, there was, like, a reunion for my GSB class and um I remember leaving early because I felt so out of place and at some point I'd said what I was doing and someone said you know where's your store and I was like I don't have a store yet and I just felt um I felt like crawling in a hole I think so I remember just like leaving early and being like I I'm in such a different place um but once I started selling ice cream um, on the street, actually several of my classmates came to that first day and one of them filmed part of it. And that's kind of like now lore. Um, and uh, two of them kept like the first like couple months I was doing this, they would just show up at almost every time and cheer me on and help me move the wagon across difficult areas. And so I felt an incredible um sort of kinship and support from the community at large once I kind of wasn't as self-conscious about it. Um, But there was a moment at the next reunion where I'd said I was selling ice cream on the street and someone misheard me and said, 
oh, you're on Wall Street. And I said (laughs) (laughs) kind of the opposite of that. And um, so I think think it's been a journey. I think my my family's been incredibly supportive of um, me taking this journey. And I think that uh, they bit their tongue sort of along the beginning, but um, respected my free will and and stubbornness, which is, I guess, in an otherwise termed perseverance, but I think I'm just direct and call it stubbornness. So how did you go from having a radio flyer wagon to where we are today? We're sitting in the Smitten headquarters in San Francisco. Um, so from there... Within a couple months, um, we had a pretty large following, and there was a moment where um, I realized that we were rated um, at the top of Yelp um, in San Francisco for all restaurants in San Francisco with Gary Denko, which is like a Michelin star restaurant, I believe, right below us. And I was like, how on earth did that happen? (laughs) Um, So this was me with a wagon on the street um, popping up, and... uh, So I was like, I think this might work. And we were also getting catering requests from a bunch of the big tech companies who wanted to bring something special to their their staff. And and so I realized that one burr machine just was not enough. (laughs) And, um, but at that point I kind of had a much more scrappy approach to entrepreneurship. And um, instead of sort of the, the philosophy of, you know, you raise $2 million and then you, you know, do some fancy stuff. I was like, okay, what's the least amount of money I need to raise to get to the next level um, and the next milestone? And so I raised um, much less than that to open our first store. And I really didn't want the first store to be glitzy. I really wanted it to be, um, I really wanted it to be scrappy and to be reminiscent of the wagon in a way that was kind of this beautiful collision of old and new. So I had this like wacky new age machine on an old fashioned radio flyer wagon and I really liked that juxtaposition. And so, um, and the symbolism of old to new. So I um, actually really wanted to first um, find a garage uh, that I could turn into this kind of cool, like, discovered shop um and no one would rent me their garage so (laughs) I literally knocked on every door in Hayes Valley I think which is the neighborhood I really wanted to be in in San Francisco to start and then I learned of um, a developer who was working on a shipping container idea and so I was like what a better way of you know this new and old juxtaposition than taking a old rusted out shipping container and making it into this like new age ice cream shop so I tracked him down and show up at it showed up at his office and I basically said let's do this um and then for the next year worked with his team to get all the city approvals to do um what's now called proxy which is a shipping container development in the middle of San Francisco's Hayes Valley neighborhood and so Smitten was the first store of that um that opened in 2011 with me as the general manager having no idea what the heck I was doing but Figuring out how to manage an ice cream shop out of a shipping container. And where did it go from there? So from there, um, that store uh, 
surprised me in its um, ability to serve a crazy number of people. Um, at first, we stumbled a hell of a lot um, because we weren't ready for the demand. And then um, I was lucky enough to hire some amazing people who could operate a lot better than I could. Um, and within a couple of years, uh, that store was um, super successful. And so I, um, continue to grow the store presence right now. We have nine stores throughout California, um, in San Francisco, and then a couple in LA. And, um, we have, uh, around 250 people employed. So looking back at kind of that entire story, is there anything at the beginning that you would have done differently in setting up the company? Gosh, um, I think I think the beauty of Smitten has happened due to the fact that nothing went right. <laughs> <laughs> so did I intend to uh, sell ice cream on the street? No, but like it, I think the journey of entrepreneurship is all about um, being proud of all the skin knees and standing up and beginning to run again. And when you bump into a wall, turning left or turning right <laughs> and not continue to go straight into the wall. Um, so yes, there's so many things that went wrong and there's so many things that I sucked at at first and then figured out how to solve um, by realizing I sucked at them that I don't think I could have guessed um, and things that I realized I was good at that um, I don't know if I would have realized unless it jived. So yeah, I don't, uh, I don't think I would regret any of it. I think I would have regretted the what if. So I'm like someone, I don't know if this is unique or just um, uh, something that people don't talk about, but I think that um, failing isn't nearly as um, torturous as a what if that lingers in your head forever or lingers in my head forever. So um, acknowledging that about me, I was much more willing to try. This episode is brought to you by Inflection Point Radio with Lauren Schiller. On Inflection Point, Lauren talks with women who are breaking down doors from activists to experts to policymakers and authors. You'll hear honest, powerful stories and come away with inspiration and ideas you can apply to your own life. To learn more about how women can rise up, search Inflection Point with Lauren Schiller wherever you listen to podcasts. So looking at the growth of the company, um, I'm curious. So it sounds like those early days were relatively self-financed and then you did a small round to get that first store open. How did you finance Smitten? How have you financed Smitten? I know that you're doing around right now. Um, and how have you found mission-aligned investors to help you support the stream? Yeah. Um, I've been uh, amazingly lucky. And I think that um, I think I've developed a lot of relationships over time. So a lot of the people who knew me when I was pulling over along a wagon are the people who've been my biggest supporters. Um, and we financed um, to date largely with angel investors um, who have a very personal connection with what we're doing and transforming an industry and making a better product and also doing it in a way where we care about the world and the people involved. Um, and they think that obviously there's a business element that is um, exciting. Um, 
We also have financed um, with uh, some convertible debt and some debt. So um, have been very creative to date. Uh, so it's, uh, and that's part of, uh, you know, the learning of, of being a business owner is different ways to think about capital. And I also wanted to talk a little bit about the corporate culture at Smitten. I know that you've been pretty intentional about that. And I was just curious, what are your thoughts on creating a good corporate culture? Um, everything starts and ends with people. I think that that is just um, implicit in having a business that um, involves people, both um at the you know point of sale, that's interaction with a customer. I think if um, if people are not happy, then it trickles down or up or however you want to think about it, and the consumer feels it. And um, so we've tried to purposely have our org chart upside down, um, in that the consumers at the top and the people who touch them are our baristas. That is B R R R I S T A, not B A R, by the way, after our bird machine. Um, and so um, our baristas are um, have an incredibly powerful presence, uh, and most of um, you know the things we do revolve around them instead of them being sort of servants of corporate. Um, I actually hate the word corporate so much that um, for the longest time. This office was known as the cows, which stood for corporate or whatever, because I just couldn't <laughs> figure out what to call us, if not corporate. So we just went with the acronym and I like the self-deprecating cow um, image. Um, but now we're sort of uh, rebranding as the support team so that people actually understand what, <laughs> what it means. Um, but I think the, uh, the intention of um, focusing on uh, the people that actually um, touch the customer means that you actually um, have a lot of checks on what's important and what's not and throw the ego out the window and um, care about everything. So, um, you know, there's times when it's not been that easy and um, and there's times where we're better as a company, but um, and it largely depends on the bandwidth and the, the people internally that we have to steer different things but one of the things that we've made sure to to do are what we call round robins which are um all of the um baristas at our shops have um the opportunity actually they're um it's actually uh, a paid thing where they come and sit down with me and um and get to know me and I get to know them and we talk about why we're here at Smitten what we're doing and why I started it and any question they want to know about me or the company, about where we've been, about where we're going, about um, things we're doing well, about things we're not doing well and how it's a complete, you know, open um, door policy and we want to hear things. Um, and we also invite people to be part of the entrepreneurial journey and, um, and help us evolve. And so um, we're thrilled when employees take us up on that. So whether it be like, a uh, barista who designed our latest t-shirt and gets a percentage of the profits of that shirt as a result, or um, baristas who designed new product offerings that we then roll out and um, we give them um, trailblazer awards. And um, there's just, there's a lot of little things and just recognition that can be done. And honestly, like some of it we do well and some of it we're trying to get better at every day because as you have an evolving organization that, now employs over 200 people like the things that used to work don't always work anymore i used to know every single person's name and i just can't anymore and we have new people starting every month 
So I, um, I have to figure out new ways of feeling, um, feeling connected with everyone and for them to be connected with me. So we're learning. Mm-hmm. So at the helm of an organization that size, what are you struggling most with right now? Um, I would say that everything, uh, per my point, everything depends on people. And um, when we have amazing store managers, we have um, we have a handful or just like tremendous um, that they just they're game changing because they have um, similar to the culture in our headquarters. Like if you have a manager who who you know, drinks the Kool-Aid with us, we're all, we're all drinking Kool-Aid. Um, then that, that is felt by that baristas who most of them are, you know, they're hourly employees. And, um, if they don't have an inspired leader, then uh, that is felt. Um, so, um, I think people, 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 people as a lesson here, um, people are everything. So, um, I think that, uh, one of the things that I've learned is that building too fast, you can grow faster than you can get the right people in place. And so um, I'm more of a um, believer in, um, and this was actually against a lot of my sort of scrappy mentality of the past, which was um, kind of more around you don't fill a role until you realize you need it. And I realized with growth that that's actually wrong. You need to fill a role right before you need it or else um, people get drowned and it gets really hard to keep morale up and it gets really hard to take care of people. And that's a hard thing to realize for a person who like quote unquote grew up on the streets in my business. And so that has been um, kind of one of the most profound um learnings of my sort of growth years with Smitten is invest in people right before you need them. How do you identify that place of knowing that you're going to need someone before you know that you need them? (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Um, I think it's, um, we're doing a much better job of doing a strategic planning. So understanding, um, you know, a year to two years out, like here's where we're going and therefore here's the people we need to start, you know, what I call dating. Um, We need to start dating people now so that we build a relationship over time and so we're not just making a call after meeting someone three times and like assuming they're going to be right. So I literally, and my team makes fun of me, like I'm dating a number of people right now for our future Um my husband hates when I use that term, but like that's basically what you're doing. You're getting to know someone, you're letting them know you. And I meet up with them anywhere from every couple of weeks to every couple of months, depending on how far in the future it is. But I, I, I think it's important to, um, you know, through, and that's one of the things that through the extended network of actually a bunch of, there's a bunch of women's groups I'm involved in. And there's also obviously business school, um, but the women's groups um, have been, amazing at just connecting me with, um, people and also our investors connecting with people who may be good for a future and just getting to know them over time. Um, and that's like what I did with our chef, Brooke, who you just met. Um, we dated for a while and I just like, you know, fell in love with the potential of what she could bring. Um, same as Alistair, who's now our president, he was an advisor for a while. And then we, came on to do a project with us. And, um, and so, um, I think it's a really good way of, um, ensuring better success of a hire. And I've done things the other way and found it, it's really hard once you bring on 
someone, especially someone in a senior role um, that is not extremely well vetted, and they can be amazing and they can be super smart. They can also just not be a cultural fit or they cannot sync with the, with me or you know someone else in the organization as well as one would think. And everyone's on their best behavior in, in you know, interviews. Um, so, um, yeah, so that's kind of my, my approach is dating mm-hmm. um, and planning in advance. And then, um, you know, if that role doesn't end up coming to fruition, then like you can always create a great referral to someone else. But So building on that advice, I'm curious as you kind of look back over everything, what are the top pieces of advice that you have for other business leaders? <sighs> um, I would say, and this maybe is generic, but I would say um, that it's really important to root a company in values and everyone has an internal compass so we have four values at smitten that root us and they are make people's day um and and let me pause for a minute all of our values have both an internal meaning and external so um make people's day obviously we're in the ice cream business and if we're not like we're the pinnacle of someone's day usually ice cream is like something that is a highlight right so if we're not really making their day then we're you know, kind of ruining our privilege of impacting this person's at that moment. But it's also um, something that we really think about from peer to peer in the company and how do we help each other um, succeed and um, cover each other's ass when one needs help. Um, so maybe we'll say number two is commit to be the best. Um, I would say that we didn't take this like ridiculously difficult approach to ice cream to like be second best or half, <laughs> you know, half acid. We're doing this to disrupt the category and transform it and um, do it in a way that's um, authentic and um, thoughtful and um, better for the world. Um, Third is think like an entrepreneur. So that's something that obviously is crucial to our story. And we want to invite people to be part of the journey. Not I'm not the only entrepreneur here. Everyone who joins our team has the um, invitation to join that. And then the fourth is be genuine, which is basically doing the right thing, even if no one's looking. And um, and that's both obviously when we vet decisions as a company at, at large or at, for, as an individual, as part of the company. Um, if you do the right thing and it hurts the business or something, like we will high five you because you did the right thing. So, um, so those are the values that root us. Um, I would also say, um, on an individual level, um, that no amount of reading and business planning and, um, (laughs) and crafting your story from afar will be nearly as effective as just doing and trying and learning and, 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 iterating as you go um my business plan like that i wrote at stanford is like a great piece of bathroom reading to like laugh (laughs) at but um and there's no way in hell it came true in the way that it was intended to granted now looking back like there's a lot of things that i'm like oh my gosh like 10 years later now that's true but like the way that it came about was like completely upside down and inside out so um my advice is just like have an understanding of where you want to get in two months, six months, one year. Don't plan more than a year out because it's bullshit. And <laughs> until you get to be bigger and then you can plan two years out, but don't freaking worry about five years because that's just seriously all going to not happen, right? Um, and then just like freaking take a swing and 
don't try to hit a home run. Try to get a ground single. Sorry, I'm a big sports person. <laughs> um, get on, you know, get on first base and um, and take it from there. So, um, yeah. And the last thing is my whole what if thing. So, and I think sadly in a lot of ways, I think that was more relevant and pertinent to me as a woman than it is to um, most men. I'd say having a twin brother who is my dearest friend and now a husband. Um, I don't think that the timeliness of entrepreneurship is as relevant. I think that, um, I think that being, having freedom at, if there's a time in your life where you have freedom to like try and like throw everything at something, um, I think that it is to be grasped. I think that, you know, 10 years later with two kids, um, and, um, more, uh, sort of emotional, um, burden, uh, and more obviously financial responsibility. I think it's a lot harder for me in this point in time to, would have been to consider starting something now. Um, and I'm grateful that I took the opportunity to go crazy when I did. So, um, I think that, uh, yeah. And I think that, um, that the uh, very um, attainable ambition of loving your job. Like I would just say that like we all can love our job and that looks very different ways to different people. But I think that um, not not being willing to settle for um, not loving my job was like a crucial commitment I made myself. So speaking of the two kids and the kind of you said the words emotional burden but just this like kind of huge responsibility that you have running this company how do you stay grounded what are your practices that you do to take care of yourself I'm not very good at this so I don't think that I should be a role model here um I bike to work every day which is how I get um a workout and uh, I'm less uh, angry person because I don't have to be in traffic or deal with parking. Um, and that gives me just some mind space. And, um, even when I dread biking home in the fog in San Francisco, I think it's, it's, uh, never something that I regret once I've gotten home. Um, and, uh, I think, um, I'm getting better at setting my boundaries for, uh, just needing, time with family. I'm, I'm not that good at it, as I said. Um, but, uh, I'm realizing as my, uh, oldest son gets older that he, uh, <laughs> he doesn't yet realize it's awesome that his mom works for an ice cream company. Um, he's now like, mom, why do you work so much? So like, I, uh, I think that kids are truth tellers and, um, that, uh, um, I need to make sure that I'm not always uh, distracted or trying to multitask now that my my kids are, are noticing it. So I'm trying to be more, have more dedicated time where I'm like all in one or all in the other, um, which I think is much healthier, even if I work longer hours. But when I'm home, I'm like, you know, having super authentic time and real eye contact not like half distracted looking past them at the clock I kind of so um that is kind of one of my resolutions is 
um, less time but more focused time is better than more time and um, more distracted time. I'm curious for you, with everything that you have right now, what is the most important thing in your life? Wow. Um, uh, I'd say that I, um, I have to say um, my children. I think that there's... Uh, <laughs> It's an unfair question given that like anything that like comes comes from your body is like <laughs> as more of an emotional connection. Though a lot of jokes have been made that um, my burn machine, which the original name of the burn machine was Kelvin after the temperature scale Kelvin. Um, and that that was my first baby, uh, which we used to call it that back in the day uh, because I like took care of it and repaired it when he fell off the wagon um and it was he which is kind of funny um but uh yeah um my uh my children I would obviously like don't lie in front of a bus and do anything for um and uh and obviously my husband which is an important thing to say but um but I think that a business is a is a child of sorts and um that there's an immense um, personal identity and um, emotional component of starting a business and having so much of, like, I, I think there's so many people who just know me as a smitten lady or the ice cream lady. And, um, and that's been funny. Like I, people come up to me on the street and say, Oh, you're smitten. And I'm like, I'm Robin. <laughs> um, so that's both like, wow, like that's cool. And also a little bit daunting to um, have so much of who I am being wrapped it, up in it. Um, but uh, yeah, I think it's kind of just par for the course. Mm. Last question, what is giving you hope for the future? Hmm. What is giving me hope for the future? Um, I always come back to people. There's so much power in um, listening and, um, in the courage and, um, goodness of people when they don't have to do anything, you know, for other people and they just do. And there's so many people who are baristas at Smitten who just go out of their way to give back to each other and to the community and, um, and to participate actively as opposed to just, you know, get by. Um, and I think that one of the unique things about Smitten is that um, we employ so many minorities and so many, like if you look around our office also, like we have uh, almost all women and in our whole, in our whole company, I think we have, in, our, in management, I think we have two straight males. Um, and um, we pride ourselves on, I don't know if that's like PC, but we, we pride ourselves on the diversity and on um, empowering women. We have almost in every position um, here, we have, we have a woman and most of our store leaders are women. Um, and I think that we attract because of because that is pretty different than most food companies. Um, I think we attract a lot of people who see the good in that and feel connected and empowered and willing to um, engage. And that is something that is humbling and 
a blessing. Um, so I think that that is always awe-inspiring and I'm, I'm just grateful that um, I'm connected with them and get to walk, walk alongside them. A huge thank you this week to Rob and Sue Fisher and the entire team over at Smitten Ice Cream. The World Changing Women podcast is brought to you by Conscious Company Media and is produced by StoryPop Media. If you like what you're hearing, we'd be so grateful if you tell a friend about the show. And be sure to subscribe to get the latest episode. Thanks so much for listening. A StoryPop Media production. 